Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sarah Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sarah Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sarah Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Susie Barker. Now, Susie is here to share her inspiring story of how she went from devastating breakup, horrific divorce, but has actually turned her life around. And in her own words, she is now living her best life. Now, I love sharing these stories with you because I know it gives you hope and inspiration that by listening to other people's stories, you can do it too. So I am super excited to welcome Susie Barker to the show. Welcome, Susie. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I think it's amazing that you want to come on and share your story because I know it's going to inspire so many of my listeners. So before we get into the story, tell us a little bit about you, Susie. Okay, well, I am um, 55 years old. I've got a son and a daughter and I live in the north of England. I was a teacher for a very, very long time, but part of that is that part of the change of um, is that I'm now an educational consultant, do lots of presenting, so I've got a lovely job. Um, and I was separated from my ex-husband in 2015, July 2015, and then subsequently divorced in 2017. Um, so it's heading for six years now. I have been on my own. So that's me. Okay. So I am looking forward to hearing your story. So tell us what happened. Okay, so I was just short of my 25th wedding anniversary. Uh, my youngest was about to go off to uni. I was, so I was on the verge of an empty nest, was looking, really looking forward to having a bit more time with my husband then. I was teaching and he came home. Well, I knew something wasn't right for a while, but I suppose pretended that everything was okay. But it just came to a point where I thought... I think I gathered a little bit more self-confidence and thought, I'm going to approach him about this. So I said um, to him one day, are we all right? I said it again and said it again. And in the end, he just said, I don't know. So within three days, I said to him, well, what's happening? And he said, I think I want to leave. So I said, well, you're going to have to choose whether you want to stay or whether you want to go, go and think about it. He was working away at the time. So we went away for three days. Three days he rang me and he'd gone. He said so, he was leaving. Wow. So that sounds like it was out of the blue. So how did you feel when he said he wasn't sure that he wanted to stay? Well, the first thing, the next thing I said to him was, oh, is there somebody else? And I said to him, are you having an affair? And he said, um, no, but there's someone I've got feelings for. He wouldn't tell me who it was. He wouldn't tell me where they'd met. He, he said they had a family. So I, at that point, said, well, go away and you're going to have to decide and choose. And if you've chosen her, then you go. You leave 
So were you upset at this? I mean, obviously it sounds like it was very shocking, but you sound very matter of fact, sending him away to make a decision. How did you cope with that? It's strange. I think I knew all along, actually, that something wasn't right. I'd, I'd known for a long time, I think, but I didn't want to face up to it. So when he said, I think there was something deep inside that I thought, uh, to be honest, I'd always been second best and third best. He was in the Air Force. And I, interestingly, when I go back to, we met at university, so we were engaged. I was 22 when we got engaged. I was really quite young. Um, and 24 when we got married, it was a real whirlwind romance. And, you know, he swept me off my feet and um, everything, life was exciting. But the day we got married, I remember saying to my dad, you know, looking at him and, uh, and in saying, well, you're going to live the Air Force life. And I said to him, I'm not marrying the Air Force. Well, I did. So, you know, throughout the next 25 years, really, I was at the bottom of a stack. I was at the bottom of his Air Force life. And, um, and I think when I realized that I was now at the bottom of another woman's as well, you know, at the bottom of that stack behind another woman, I think something inside of me went, no, this is not good enough. I deserve better than this. So although I was shocked there was something inside of me that went, right, he chooses. And if it's not me, he can go. I think that's really common, actually, Susie. I think that sometimes when you've been in a relationship where you haven't had your needs met, you've always felt second best, something hasn't been right for a while, you almost get a sense of relief that you actually know what's going on, that clarity that there's somebody else takes that confusion, that sort of fog out of your brain. You go, ah, it all makes sense now. The jigsaw pieces all fit together. That makes 100% sense. Now I can see why I was feeling that way, um, even though I didn't know. So, I mean, I do think that's very common, but it's still very tough to navigate. So what happened next? Uh, well, he he rang me um, from where he was working. And, uh, and I, I, I could just tell from the conversation, I said, you've chosen, haven't you? And it's not me. And he said, yes. So I said, well, you come back and you tell our children and don't tell them we've drifted apart. You tell them that you've met somebody else and you're leaving. Um, so it was, it was very cut and dried from my side. I mean, I will go on to explain it. It wasn't after that, but that decision then, as far as I was concerned, he'd chosen someone else over me and he needed to go. So, so he came home and he told the children and they were utterly devastated. They were obviously grown at the time, you know, they were in their late teens, both at uni and um, they were devastated. I, it was heartbreaking to see them cry. Mm. And they went from him to me, back to him, back to me. That was tough. It must have been hard for you because the kids are, are now gone. They're, they've been with you for such a long yeah. time. And after all, your eldest had now left. So mm. you were at home alone. How did you manage those early days? Ooh, well, it was, I think, was partly in, in denial. I tried to carry on. I had a very responsible job. I was um, head of English in a special a school for children with special needs um, with a very tough and challenging class. 
But I was, I thought I was determined to go on, you know, but in hindsight, I was literally had my head above water. I thought I could cope with it all. I was just going through the motions. I wasn't eating at all. My friends would sometimes bring breakfast and I would eat that. I was just on autopilot, literally. So I know that you just had a feeling, didn't you, that deep down you had a choice. You know, and I talk about that a lot. You know, when you're going through a really traumatic time, there's two ways you can go. You can choose to be overwhelmed by it. And there's a period of time where you will be naturally overwhelmed with it, of course, as you're describing. But then you have a choice to either let this be how the rest of your life pans out, carrying and dragging that baggage with you forwards into every new relationship and every day, or to step up and turn your life around, which is harder than it sounds, but that's the crossroads. And I know you came to that, didn't you? I absolutely did, but it took a full five years to get to that point. And I had to go to the very, very bottom of myself before there was a turning point, but it nearly killed me if I go on to explain. Um, I mean, I absolutely adored the man the man I thought I was married to. I absolutely adored him. I thought he could do no wrong, which is actually ridiculous. It, it was quite unhealthy, really, looking back, the way I felt about him. And it was coming to a gradual realisation for me. I didn't think I could live without him. I, I honestly didn't at, at that particular point. And so it was almost like a withdrawal you know, from something. I devoted my life to him. I, and, and, and in amongst all of the, because what had happened over the 25 years was because his Air Force career took priority, then I was determined I wanted to carry on working. So we would go somewhere and that included um, going to Germany. So I'm in Germany where our, um, our eldest was born going to Saudi Arabia, we're in Saudi Arabia for a while, and I would get a job, a teaching job, wherever we went, and do well and become, you know, senior management or whatever, to then for us to leave and um, move somewhere else. So I would just lost myself. I, I just gradually stopped understanding who I was. I, I did nothing. I, I just went along with it. So when he left, I honestly didn't know who I was. I just lost touch with everything and it was just so lonely. So I thought, right, I can keep on going. I am a strong person. I can now have, you know, do this career. And But I just didn't know where to even begin. Um, so I suppose work kept me going, but it was too much. I was out of touch with my feelings, these deep feelings of hurt and anger, you know, anger at somebody else had you know, had taken my place. Uh, I missed my children desperately. And it was like my brain was damaged, I think. You know, it was like January. So he left in July 2015. And then by January 2017, so two years later, I just kept battling on and battling on, taking promotion at work and um, going through things like Ofsted inspections. And I remember a friend came round in January 2017 just for me to sign a passport for her. And she looked at me and she said, you can't go to work tomorrow. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you can't go to work. You cannot 
do this anymore. And I remember she almost gave me permission to say, you need to stop. This is going to, you know, seriously damage your view if you carry on. Um, so I said, I think you're right. And I drove to work that day and it, that was the turning point. That was getting to, it did go worse. It did get worse than that. But that was the part, point where I said to myself, if you don't look after yourself, nobody else will at all. And I went into my boss and I said, I can't do this anymore. If I had broken my legs, you wouldn't be asking me to run on them. And that's what I feel like is happening to my brain if I don't stop. And interestingly, it was after that. So I had some time off work. And when I went back, we were expecting another Ofsted inspection. I was head of English and they said, you will be interviewed about your role and I hadn't been doing the role for a number of weeks because I'd been off. And as he was speaking to me, I just felt this flick in my brain and I got the most excruciating headache. And he sent me home and I rang my sister. I was talking about it to my sister and the, again, a switch in my brain and the headache happened again. I said to her, I'm going to have to go. And I was in the house on my own and I was just in agony. I have never, ever felt um, pain like it. And I rang an ambulance. I went round to the knock on the door of next door neighbours and they were out. So I came back and I was lying on the floor thinking, I've got something desperately wrong. And I rang 999, the ambulance came and they thought I had a bleed on the brain. Hi, it's Sarah Davison here, the divorce coach. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. I just wanted to let you know about a free gift I've got for you, which I know will help you if you're struggling with your breakup or divorce right now. I'd like to offer you a free week's membership of my Heartbreak to Happiness online support group sessions with unlimited access to any of the groups during this time. So what are they? Well, these are friendly and confidential online support groups run by my accredited coaches. I've designed them to ensure that you know you're not alone and there is help and support out there to help you cope better. One delegate, Jane, said after her first session, I can't believe how much better I feel in just one hour. Another delegate, Wendy, said, my friends and family are so fed up of hearing me talk about this and now I finally feel like I've found my tribe. I've designed these sessions so you'll meet other people going through similar situations and you'll be able to share your story in a safe space. My specialist coaches are all trained personally by me and are there to offer support and help to enable you to dial down those negative emotions and let go of your ex. So I wanted to make a special offer to all my podcast listeners, which is a three weeks access to this unique support. It means that you will have access to as many support sessions as you would like to attend in a week. And we've got lots of days and different times to choose from. This is a great way to start to take your power back and help you feel more empowered. Remember, as I always say, it's not what happens to you that defines you, 
It's what you do about it that makes you the person you are. So sign up now at www.saradavison.com forward slash support group. That's saradavison.com forward slash support group to claim your free gift and to move from your heartbreak to happiness. The ambulance came and they thought I had a bleed on the brain. So uh, I was taken to hospital and they said, you're going to have a CT scan because we think you've got a bleed on the brain. And I thought I had to. It was so painful. And the CT scan was clear, but they said, we're still not sure. So I had a lumbar puncture, which is the most painful thing. It's uh, spinal fluid leaks out into your tissues and it's just really painful. That clear. So I said to the doctor, what could have caused this then if it's not a bleed on the brain? Could stress have caused this? And he said, yes. And at that point, I thought, you can't do this anymore. So I handed in my notice at work and I thought, well, you've got to put yourself first. I mean, sometimes our bodies have to stop us physically. I mean, that is a truly awful story to get to that point where such extreme things are happening to you physically. But, you know, it's quite common that our body will start to slow down, even though our minds aren't slowing down and we're pushing ourselves. Yeah. And what I call stuffing emotions, we stuff it down and we try and carry on. Um, but because we're not addressing those emotions, they're still there. And that is yes. building up both emotionally, but then that will resonate physically in your body. And, you know, unfortunately that's when, you know, ill health comes in because we're yeah. not addressing, we're not addressing or confronting the stress. We're just pushing it down so that we can carry on. And your friend who who said you can't do this anymore, you can't go to work. I mean, she was obviously spotting those mm. signs for you. Okay, so you quit your job, and then you decided that was a, a big turning point, obviously, in your life. So, what was the next thing that you decided to do to move forward? Well, I had to find something else, obviously, first, and it took a while. It was actually out after lockdown, so I was still going through the divorce at that point. It was expensive. <laughs> so I actually gave up that role, and I still took a teaching role, but a, a less demanding one, while I worked out what I really wanted to do. And I think this is the that this was the bit about getting to rock bottom i just then thought right you have a blank canvas now you're earning money you know at the moment but it's not what you want to do it never was um now you you've got a choice um and i i i think that was the bit to realize that there, that now i had a choice in how to reinvent my life how i wanted I, went, I did English at university, so and I always loved to write. And I know that as part of, you know, the healing process, writing a journal or something is really, really helpful anyway. But it just really made my heart fly. So what I did was I got that blank canvas out literally in a piece of old wallpaper and some colored pens. And I wrote down everything that I might want to do the things that made me happy, where I might want to live, where I might want to travel, possible careers. And it was weird because I got to the point before my husband left where I didn't even know whether I liked tea or coffee. It was so strange. So just things like every single little choice that I had became important. Um, one of the things was that he 
He hated garlic. And for 25 years, I'd done all the cooking. He didn't like cooking and I did. That was fine. But we never cooked with garlic. So I went to the shop and I bought a great bulbs and bulbs of garlic. It's really crazy. And, I, and just those small things made such a difference. Yes. It can be very liberating. It can be very liberating doing the things that you've not been able to do in a relationship before. Mm. That, you know, whether it's buying the garlic or for me, it was painting my nails pink. You know, what is it that you yeah. couldn't have done during yeah. your relationship? Those small things are incredibly yeah. and can give you such a big boost. I think um, anyone listening who's who's coming out of a, a relationship, maybe a toxic relationship, you know, have a think about that. What are the things that you've never been able to do in that relationship? And what can you do now then that you can start doing? Absolutely. So you were cooking with garlic. Anything else that you started doing? <laughs> oh, loads of things, you know. Um, I did have some therapy um, because, you know, ending up in hospital, that's pretty brutal. You have to find out why you got to that point. So, And it was my therapist that introduced me to meditation, um, which has been phenomenal. And through that yoga, I'd never done yoga. I'd always thought, oh, you know, what just give it a try. So I now do yoga and I, and I love it. Um, there were lots of things that I, I did. You know, I, I wanted every encounter then to be my choice. So even to um, people I spent my time with and there were people in my life who, um, you know, who I love to be with and my tribe, if you like. Um, and, it's funny how when 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 you end up on your own, people drift. Some people drift away. And you seem to reform everything. You look at everything in a different light because you. I was going along this trajectory of my life, thinking it was this one way, and suddenly none of it was there anymore. So, so certain people drifted away, and then there were friends who in or people in my life, and I thought, actually, are they? We talk about drains and radiators, don't we? People that warm your life up and people that drain it away. Um, and I, I started to think, is it the, are these the best people that I can have around me? So it was all sorts of big things. Those are bigger things, I suppose. And then the smaller things of, you know, everything. Right, what do you want to do this morning? What do you want to have for breakfast? suddenly yeah. became really delightful choices and it's a different way of thinking about it it's rather than thinking about the negative about what's happened and what you're missing out on it's that complete shift of focus to yeah. what's good about this right now you know what can I do today that I could never have done before what yeah. am I excited to do now yeah so those things is it really is a big shift of focus and I know it took you a while to get there and something quite you know tragic happening with your being admitted to hospital but sometimes it's those big moments that really shake you up and make you realize, look, you know, you only live once. Absolutely. And time for that detox, get rid of all the stuff that isn't yeah. working for you, the people, the actions, the behaviors, the, the things around your home even. And then let's put in some, some great stuff on that blank canvas. What do you want more of? Who do you want to spend more time with? And I think all those things are really important. So for people listening to your story, I mean, obviously a lot of people are struggling right now in the midst of their breakup. What are the key lessons that you would like to share with our listeners? Um, I think 
for any for anybody that's struggling, I just I know it's it's it, people say this, don't they? But I really do mean it. That take one step at a time. You know, and I actually learned to talk to myself like I would have talked to my children when they were when they were little. You know, there was a temptation, obviously, when there is another person involved, and you know, you've been used for another man or another woman, depending on. Well, it must have been me. It must have been something I've done. Absolutely not. Just be kind to yourself and think it's okay, and you're doing okay. You know, life might be hard and tough at the moment, but you will get through this and acknowledge the fact that it's hard and you're struggling. And also from my side that I was betrayed. But, you know, if you've been the one to make that the decision to break up for whatever reason, I think it's important just to forgive yourself and just give yourself a break. This is hard. This is divorce is breakups and divorce are so hard, so hard. I I had, interestingly, I had, um, I have a couple of really dear friends who lost their husbands. They died through dying. And they said to me, what you're going through, uh, I mean, obviously it was awful. I watched them grieving and it was desperately awful. But they said to me, yours is far more complicated than this because you, he's still there. You know, you've still got these feelings of grief but he's still alive and he's still coming back, you know, whatever your graduations or whatever and reminding you of what you've lost. Um, so it's, it's tough and just give yourself a break. I would say be kind to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, journaling, um, as you said before, yeah. helps. I know you write a blog, don't you? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, it, yes, I do. And in fact, that I, I started that more or less straight away. It was a bit of a Bridget Jones 50-something blog. I wanted to make myself laugh because I need to find something to laugh about. So because, I, you know, I, I love writing and anyway, um, I, I just thought, um, in fact, it was a, I was inspired really by a, a lady who, bless her, she didn't realize what she was saying, but she said, my husband's working away. And she said, I'm like that saddo going round round the supermarket with a basket. And I went, excuse me, I am that saddo. I'm that saddo. I mean, inside I was really, really sad, but she didn't mean it. And I just thought you could turn this into a, you know, there I was pushing my my trolley round Sainsbury's. And then there, now I am, here I am with um, a bottle of wine and eating crisps in bed in the middle of the day watching telly and, you know, but in a lighthearted way. So, yeah, it's called 50-something Butterfly. It includes a lot of online dating as a 50-something, which is a whole different realm I never thought I'd see myself in. Um, and it just to make me laugh, but other people in the same situation too. And for those people who are thinking about dating or dating, what are your top two tips for, for online dating in your 50s? Oh, my word, where do you start? Um, well, I mean, in terms of it depends where you are in your breakup. I mean, I I didn't go on, on to online dating until um, a couple of years in. And I think that was a wise choice in hindsight because it can be quite brutal. You know, you will get ghosted. And especially if you've already been betrayed by, you know, somebody who was supposed to be your life partner, that can be tough because 
people, you know, it, it's the whole um, social media thing. People will treat you in that way. Well, they wouldn't do if you were face to face in a traditional, <laughs> you know, meeting them in a bar or something. But I, what, the only thing I would say is it's not personal. You know, my ex-husband leaving me for another woman was very personal. Online dating's not. I go on it and come off it and go on it and come off it. But it's fine. It's okay. You know, Um, I think online dating is a good way to build your confidence, even in the early days. You know, you've got to go through some of that grieving process and start to rediscover who you are again. But it's not about meeting Mr. Right. It's about having some fun, maybe Mr. Yeah. Right Now or Miss Right Now, and just, you know, enjoying life and trying to get your sparkle back. And I think one of the questions I get asked a lot is, you know, I don't trust anyone because I was betrayed. And I think you just got to get better at spotting the signs and understanding which people out there do have the integrity and which people don't and which people are genuinely looking for relationships and which people aren't. And, and with practice, as you know, Susie, you can get better at that and spotting the signs. Yeah. Um, but again, as you said, it's not personal. And I think it's key to have you know, three or four people at least that you're talking to at once because yes. you know, having one, when they ghost you, like you said, it can be tough in the early days as you're getting used to it. But before you realise that's just how it works and, you know, that's just going to happen. And it's not personal because you'll do it to people as well. Maybe you'll yeah. get for a couple of weeks and not reply. Mm. You know, you realise that it swings and roundabouts and it's just a bit of fun, but it can be a useful tool. Yeah build your confidence up before you do go out and meet someone in the flesh you know and it gives you that that confidence so that when that time comes around you've had a bit of a rehearsal yeah I think you're absolutely right because I was obviously you know I was 22 when I met my ex-husband and popped out the other end at 49 and you know I actually through online dating I've learned what I actually want out of a relationship it's a good way to practice what you do and don't want there's an episode on my podcast uh, called How to Design Your Ideal Partner, which is also a really good episode to listen to before you start dating, um, just to create some safety nets to protect you from making the same mistakes or maybe going for the wrong kind of people that aren't going to work out in the long term for you. So I would recommend that anyone listening has a quick look and listen to that episode. Thank you, Susie, for sharing your story. I think it will have inspired many, many people that there is hope and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And maybe by using some of the tips and tools that you've shared, they can accelerate that process and and move a little bit closer to that. So thank you ever so much for sharing your story with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. That's it for today. And I look forward to you joining me on our next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to Sarah's virtual Heartbreak to Happiness retreat. This is a transformative combination of live webinars with Sarah herself, coupled with her empowering online video program designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sarah's gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.